We're kidding, knowing that we are going to be leaving for vacation after church, that I would just get up here and say, God is good, the devil's bad. Let's bow our heads and be dismissed. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. It's still true. <laughs> but I feel like God has given, without a doubt, God has given me a word for today. Um, I want to talk for a few minutes on the, the topic of a gospel worth sharing. A gospel worth sharing. The book of Romans and really any other epistle that were written by Paul or any other apostles in the first century church, were, we, we hear that word epistle and we don't really sometimes understand what that is. Basically, it was simply a letter that was written to a person, a church, or a group of churches to encourage and sometimes correct them. This particular book, the book of Romans, is a little bit different than most because at the time that Paul wrote it, he had never been to Rome. He kept saying he wanted to go, but he hadn't made it yet. So these writings were based on information that he had gathered from those who had gone there and come back. If we go back to the first chapter of the book of Romans, we see in the, in the first few verses that Paul begins by introducing himself to the believers in Rome. Since he'd never been there, he had to introduce himself. And after he in introduced himself and his message and his motives for writing this letter in, in about the first 15 verses, he then turns the spotlight on the gospel. And this gospel was what he's going to be writing about. And he shares with these people in Rome, whom he's never met, the motives behind the letter that he's writing to them. And I want to read just two verses from our text today. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. If you don't have your Bible, they're right up here. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the, in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now those two verses have been preached on for ever since Paul wrote them. And there's probably thousands of sermons and directions you could go from here. But I have a particular direction that I want us to go this morning. These two verses are probably the greatest summary of the Bible that were ever written, or the summary of the gospel that was ever written. It's in these verses that we see a very clear declaration of God's power and purpose in the gospel message. Paul's statement, it's kind of strange the way he begins this. He starts out with saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Now, in our day, that might sound a little bit awkward. After all, why would he be ashamed? He's the great Apostle Paul. He's the guy who was a Pharisee, a guy who had killed Christians, or at the least had had Christians killed for what they believed. This was the guy who was once named Saul, who had an encounter with God on the way to Damascus, and after his conversion, he became Paul, the great apostle, and went on to be one of the greatest pastors, evangelists and Christians, writers that has ever lived. And yet he said, I am not ashamed. So with that kind of resume, why would anyone think that Paul would be ashamed? Let me answer that by saying he wasn't. He wasn't ashamed. But since he knew that there might be some Christians living in Rome who probably were, 
He wanted to let them know why he wasn't and why they shouldn't be either. His words can speak well to us today because we're living in a time when there are Christians who without, are without a doubt ashamed of the gospel. Now somebody say, well, why would you say that? That's not very nice. Let me read something. I'm going to quote so I don't get this wrong. A study conducted by Lifeway Research has found 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. And we all go, well, that's, that's pretty good. I like that. I agree with that. Let me go on. Yet despite this conviction, 61% have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the previous six months. Oh, it goes on. The survey also asked how many times they personally, quote, invited an unchurched person to attend a church service or some other program at your church. Nearly half, 48% of the church attendees responded, zero. Someone's thinking, well, that can't be right. And you might be right. Because there's other surveys that make it sound a whole lot worse than that. In fact, one other survey said, and I'm quoting again, 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. Hmm. I'm just going to leave that right there, and we're going to move on. But it ties into what we're talking about today. I am not ashamed of the gospel. If we are not ashamed of the gospel, then how come 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ? And looking at that, though, and understanding the, the culture of the Roman times in the first century, it can probably help us to understand why some people in Paul's day might have been ashamed of, of, of proclaiming the message that Paul had been given. There are at least four reasons why some people might have been ashamed, and Paul made it sure that they knew that he wasn't for these reasons. One of those is because of the moral decay of that day. At this time, when Paul was writing, a man named Nero, who you've probably heard of in history, Nero was the emperor of Rome. He was a wicked, degenerate man. The city of Rome was an absolute cesspool of sin and wicked living. And it seemed that what Paul was preaching was diametrically opposed to everything in Rome. And if you're a Christian and everything in the entire city of Rome goes against everything that you're supposed to be believing you might tend to hunker down a little bit and say, I'm not talking about what I believe. So Paul was concerned about that. The next reason was possibly because Paul was a Jew. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? Jews were considered by many non-Jewish people of that day, specifically Greeks and Romans, to be a subhuman race. They were despised, mistreated, enslaved, and because of that, Many Jews would have been tempted to stay away from non-Jews, even with the message of the gospel. They hate me, so I'm not sharing the gospel. But not only did Paul not want the Roman Christians looking down their nose at the Jewish Christians, he also didn't want the Jewish Christians to take the attitude of, well, since, since the Romans in general think that I'm less than a human being, I'm not sharing the gospel with them, let them go to hell. The same attitude, that's exactly the same attitude that Jonah took in the Old Testament. He, God said, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach repentance to them. And he said, no. 
They're evil and wicked, and they deserve everything they get. And that's what Paul was saying here. Don't look at the other people and think that because they're so bad that you're too good to tell them about the gospel. And we need to make sure that we don't develop that kind of attitude in our day. Our commission as Christians is to preach or share the gospel with everyone. Mark 16, 15 says to go into all the world and preach the good news or the gospel to all creation. And all still means all. That means people we don't like, people we do like, and everybody in between. Preach the gospel to all creation. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, but you don't understand. They're, they're really wealthy, and, and, and it doesn't matter. But you don't understand. It's a homeless person. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if they're the wealthiest person in the world or the poorest person who's ever set foot on the earth. We have a commission to share the gospel with all creation. Don't be ashamed. The next reason might have been because Paul was preaching a message that was almost unbelievable. Look at it this way. This is the Savior that Paul's preaching about. A male member of the despised Jewish race, and yet he was said to be the Savior of all men. This Jesus person that Paul preached about claimed to be the Son of God, even God himself, and then claimed to be a man too. To most people in, in, Jesus's, in, in Rome, Jesus' death was no different than any other person they saw crucified on a cross. He died on a Roman cross, which was a symbol of shame. But there were some big differences between Jesus and all the other people they had seen crucified. Because Jesus and his disciples preached a message that when he died on that cross, he died for all men. And if that wasn't enough, this man Jesus was said to have risen from the dead the third day after his death. And so for many people, the claims of the gospel were just too bizarre to believe. And for many people, that hasn't changed. There's people that say, well, that, that's just crazy. If, if you believe that somebody actually died for somebody else's sins, and then they were buried and rose from the grave, yeah, I do believe that. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not really sure about that, you need to go back and read your Bible again because that is the foundation of everything we believe. That Jesus came to earth in the form of a man, that God sent his only son to earth, and he willingly laid down his life, a sinless man, laid down his life on a cross, and he died for all mankind. But he didn't stay dead. They buried him, and he rose again. That's the foundation for everything we believe. If we're ashamed to admit that part, you might as well take the rest of it and throw it out too. 1 Corinthians 1.18 said that Paul described the message of the cross as foolishness to those who are perishing. So yeah, there's going to be people that think that's foolish. Happened in Paul's day. But we still share the gospel. Another reason for Paul's explanation of not being ashamed was because everywhere he went preaching the cross, he was ridiculed, he was cast out, imprisoned, or treated cruelly. 
Over and over in the New Testament, we read of the difficulties that Paul went through, the things he suffered just to be able to share the gospel. And if getting put in prison and beaten and going without food, Paul said, I've been naked, I've been hungry, and all these things, if that's not enough to make you go, I don't know if I want to share this anymore. And he was afraid that these people would suffer those same things. And he was saying, I am not ashamed. Look what I've been through, and I'm still not ashamed of the gospel. Many people would not, in fact, most people would not endure what Paul went through just to save somebody who hates them who's going to hell. But that's what Paul did. And with all these things in mind, it's easy to see why Paul would want to be clear about his commitment to the gospel message. He wanted to make sure that the people that were hearing this, this message, and they were hearing it from a man who not only believed the message that he preached, he was willing to pay the price to share it. Why? Because it was a gospel worth sharing. This gospel was so powerful that no matter what he had to go through, it was a gospel that was worth sharing. We know that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He proclaimed it to everywhere, everywhere he went, to everyone he met. It didn't matter where he was. If he was in a synagogue, remember, Paul was a Pharisee before he came to Christ. He was a smart guy. If he was in a synagogue, he taught to the other religious people and whoever was attending service that day. But even when he was in prison, he witnessed to the other prisoners, and if there weren't any prisoners around, he witnessed to the very guards that were keeping him there. So, now that we know why some folks might have been ashamed of the gospel, and we know why Paul wasn't, the question would be this. Why wasn't Paul ashamed? What did he know that made him keep going on for God? What was it about the gospel that invigorated Paul and kept driving him to travel around the known world at that time, preaching the same message that so many hated and others feared to share? And the answer to those questions is found in these verses we just read. In these verses, Paul reminds us that we too have a gospel that's worth sharing. I want to look a little bit more closely at those two verses. The first thing is the power of the gospel. Paul said in verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God. The word power as it's used here comes from a word that refers to might or energy, force and strength that dwell within God. And since God is all-powerful, he could have revealed his power against sin in any way he chose. He could have just absolutely wiped out all of mankind instead of sending Jesus Christ. He could have wiped out everybody and started over. That's not what he did. And because we know that he didn't do that, we need to pay particular attention to the fact that when Jesus, when God decided to do something about sin, he chose to exercise his power by sending men the gospel of grace. He shows us grace. He shows us mercy. And he did it through Jesus Christ. 
Think about it this way. When God takes a lost sinner and saves them by grace and makes them a new creation, it is a powerful thing. Instead of condemning us all to eternal death, he chose to send his love wrapped up in his son, Jesus. And according to John, 1 John 4, 19, he did it all before we loved him, not because we loved him. He didn't say, well, if all you people down there will start loving me, I'll do something to help you. No, he sent Jesus when we still hated him. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. Notice that Paul's message is the gospel of Christ. It's not just any gospel. It's not just any message. It is the gospel of Christ. If you've been around very long, you've probably found out that there's a lot of other gospels, and I say that in air quotes, that are being preached, maybe not necessarily from the pulpit, but they're being proclaimed loud and clear. There's a gospel of religion, not to be confused with the gospel of Christ. The gospel of religion just says, just, just turn over a new leaf. Just stop acting like you're acting and just start acting differently. That's religion. The gospel of materialism says your worth is determined by what you have. The goal of life is to get more stuff. This is how you'll know that, that you're a disciple of Christ. You'll have lots of stuff. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says this is how you'll know that you're a follower of Christ if you have love one for another. Amen. Not that you'll have more stuff. There's a gospel of liberal, liberal, liberalism that says, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. You just believe whatever you want to believe. After all, God accepts us as we are, and he will take us to heaven, of course, if there is such a thing as heaven. And that's that kind of gospel. And then there's the gospel of society that says, do as you please because life is short. You only go around once in life. Go out there and go for the gusto. Paul's message, though, the true gospel. Here's what it says. You are a sinner as you are. And if you die in your sins, you will go to hell. But, but, God loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And Jesus died for your sins. And he rose from the grave. And if you will place your faith in him, then you can and will be saved. The decision for those in Paul's day and the decision in our day today is this. Which of these gospels are we trusting in? So we see that Paul spoke about the power of the gospel. The next thing he spoke about was the purpose of the gospel. Why did God go to such lengths for people that hated him? Why did he give up his one and only son to die on a cross for all of humanity? And the primary reason to that is real simple, because he loves us. But there's more to it than that. The plan and purpose in giving the gospel message is salvation. And the word salvation is a very important word. Salvation simply means safety, preservation, or deliverance. It carries with it the meaning of, of being rescued from all harm and danger. When we have received salvation, we have been delivered. Until we receive salvation, we have not been delivered. 
God's desire in saving sinners is to forever deliver them from spiritual death, spiritual defilement, spiritual deception, and spiritual destruction. We need to remember this. The reward for those who are saved is eternal life. But the punishment for anyone who has not accepted the gospel of Christ is eternal separation from God. And we choose which direction we go. God's purpose in giving the gospel is to change man's destination in eternity and our, our direction in life here. Changing our life here on earth is not the primary purpose of salvation, but it's certainly a benefit. In that a life lived for Christ will be far more rewarding than one that is not. I've heard my dad stand in the pulpit and say, if there was not a heaven and if there were not a hell, I would still live for God. Because he'd been on both sides of that. He knew how he was before he came to Christ, and he knew how he was after he came to Christ, and he got to the place where he said, even if there was no such thing in heaven, even if there was no place like hell, I would still stay on this path. Amen. So we have the power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, and thirdly, the plan of the gospel. Verse 16 tells us in uncertain terms exactly how this gospel message of salvation is activated. It's simple. It says, to everyone who believes. Makes it perfectly clear that sal biblical salvation does not involve these complicated religious rituals or ornate or elaborate religious exercises. Salvation is a product of faith and faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Titus 3 and 5 says this, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. These passages of Scripture tell us there is nothing that we did or could do to save ourselves. Here's a point where a lot of people stumble. A lot of people like to do things for themselves. They like to feel like they have a part in everything in their lives. But when it comes to salvation, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. It is all from God, and it's only by grace through faith. Salvation comes to the person who is simply willing to receive the message of Christ by faith. John 6, 47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. John 3, 16. We read this earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. In Acts 16, 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. I am so grateful. Me personally, I am so grateful that God kept the gospel simple and easy to understand. Amen. I'm kind of a simple guy. And the gospel is that simple. 
when it becomes so complicated that people go, well, I just don't. No, it is simple. It is us that usually are the ones that make it difficult because we try to add to it. And the, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ is very simple. So we have the power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, the plan of the gospel, and the pledge of the gospel. Pledge or a promise. We have a pledge or a promise in the word of God that this, this gospel message that we talk about so much is for every single person in the world. Amen. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel of grace. No one. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let whom, who, him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The pledge of the gospel is that anyone who hears the message and needs the cure can be saved by grace. And that means everyone. There are a lot of people, and I talk to people all the time that go, yeah, but I, I've just, I've lived such a hard life. And there's just been so many things. Or I used to be a Christian and I, I walked away from it and I quit living for God. I don't deserve it. You're right. You don't. That's grace. That's mercy. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. And if we got what we did deserve, we would just be punished, and that's mercy. But God shows us grace and mercy to everyone. There have been folks that have labored over this, this phrase in the book of Romans, and they've maybe even taken issue with it. It says, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. And I'm going to tell you, that shouldn't bother anybody. God didn't give the gospel to the Jews first in reference to priority. He gave them the gospel first in reference to time. He had been dealing with the Jewish people for thousands of years. And when he sent his son into the world to be the Messiah for the Jewish people, they rejected him. John 1.11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That would be the Jewish people. He came to his own and they they rejected him. Since the Jewish people rejected Jesus, God then turned to the Gentile people of the world, anyone who wasn't a Jew, and he offered them salvation as well. John 1.12. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That means that salvation is available to every person on the face of the earth. It doesn't matter if you're, you're Jewish or Gentile or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter what color you are, your background, where you came from. It is for every person. The whoever in John 3.16 really does mean whoever. And these verses make it clear that salvation is for anyone regardless of their race, their social standing, education, abilities, how good you used to be or how bad you used to be. Because there is nothing that can prevent someone who wants to be saved from being saved. Let me say that again. There is nothing 
that can prevent someone who wants to be saved from being saved. If you want to be saved, and if you come to Christ, he will save you. That's a promise. You don't have to, you don't have to clean up your life first and start acting like a certain, in a certain way or dressing a certain way or combing your hair in a certain way before God will look at you and say, okay, now you're worthy. No. If you come to him and ask for salvation, salvation is yours. That is the pledge of the gospel. The pledge that the gospel is for every man everywhere. If there had been restrictions on salvation, I am pretty sure I'd have been left out. And some of y'all would too, so. Aren't you glad that salvation is free? And as a result, those who have accepted it by faith are free from sin. John 8, 36 tells us that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Once we are free from sin, once we have accepted Christ and, free, and sin is behind us and we are free from sin, we are free. We sing that song, my chains are gone. I've been set free. It's more than a song. It's right there in the Bible. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, the, the devil will come around and say, yeah, but you're still, no. Don't listen to him. The Bible says the devil is a liar. And that lying is his native language. That's the David Goldsberry translation. If his mouth is moving, he's lying. So if the devil comes talking to you, just turn away from it. Say, uh-uh, not today. Not today, devil. So we see the power of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, the plan of the gospel, the pledge or the promise of the gospel, and then the product of the gospel. The product or the result of the gospel in a believer's life is righteousness. We as sinful humans have some problems. Sometimes we think we're, we are righteous, and as a result, we tend to think that surely we must be acceptable to the Lord. Yeah, but God, I, I understand all that, that gospel stuff, but it's me. Look at me. I'm, I'm me. And I'm not that guy. Remember the Pharisees did that? The Pharisee stood in the temple and he pointed to the tax collector and his prayer was, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. So we tend to think we're a little righteous. And the truth is this. If anyone believes that, they're absolutely wrong. We are not righteous. We cannot produce righteousness by self-will or by our works. But when faith is placed in the message of the gospel, then God declares us to be righteous. We can't do it by our effort, but God can do it by his power. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our righteous acts are like filthy rags. If you took all your righteous acts and piled them up in a big pile, it would just be a pile of filthy rags. That's the best you can do. Romans 8.33 says this, though. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. We might not be able to come up with much on our own. 
But there is no one that can bring a charge against us once we've come to Christ. It doesn't matter what other people say. If God has forgiven our sins, if he has justified or pardoned us, then we are a different person. Remember that John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If we have been made righteous by God, then and only then are we righteous. Anything else is useless. And to go one step further, anything else, we're just not saved. Another way to look at it is this. Everything man looks for in religion, peace with God, acceptance with God, a right relationship with God, all those things are all given up to us as believers when we receive the message of the gospel. All those things that religion says that I'm looking for, we get when we accept the message of the gospel. That means the gospel is certainly a message worth sharing. And when we truly grasp that message, hmm, there is no one, there is nothing that can stop us from sharing the gospel. And I believe this is what motivated Paul to share the gospel, regardless of the circumstances. I believe this is what caused Paul to share the gospel, regardless of the consequences. Oh, you can do whatever you want to me. It ain't going to change what I say. Here I am, sitting chained to a wall. Both of my hands are chained to the wall, and I'm probably going to be executed soon. But guess what? Have you heard about Jesus? You can do what you want to me. It isn't going to change the message. Think how this world would be changed if every believer took that attitude. I'm going to go out in the world and you can't stop me. I'm going to witness to everybody I come in contact with and you can't stop me. The phrase from faith to faith in the King James Version, in the NIV it says from, by faith from first to last. Sometimes it's confusing to people as to what Paul meant here. I believe that it means our faith as a believer is to be one of faith in God and it continues as our lives are lived out in faith. Look at it this way. The righteousness of God revealed in our life as believers from beginning faith to a keeping faith, and then finally when these lives are over, to an ending faith. So it goes from beginning faith to a keeping faith to an ending faith. So there's your faith to faith. Bible commentator Matthew Henry explained it this way, a lot smarter than me. I'll quote. He said, faith is all in all, both in the beginning and progress of Christian life. It is not from faith to works, as if faith put into a justified state and then works kept us in it, but it is all along from faith to faith. It is faith pressing forward and gaining the victory over unbelief. It's progressive faith. We continue in faith. We start off in faith, we walk in faith, and we end in faith. We, Paul concludes that, that section that faith is to be a way of life because we, the just, 
shall live by faith. We have been given a gospel worth believing. We have been given a gospel that is worth sharing. And there's some questions I want us to ask ourselves, maybe in this next week. Are we trusting in the gospel of Christ for salvation? If you have not, then would you do so today? Secondly, are we sharing the gospel like Paul did? And then thirdly, are we ashamed of the gospel of Christ? I will tell you that the same message that was able to save people in Paul's day saves people today. The gospel hasn't changed. All we need to do is to see the gospel work in power. To see, all we have to do to see the gospel work in power is to believe it and share it. And when we do these things, be assured that God will take care of the rest. And I'll close with this. The gospel that Paul preached about and wrote about is a gospel worth sharing. It is a gospel worth sharing because it can make the unrighteous righteous. It is a gospel worth sharing because it is powerful to save the most vile sinner. It is a gospel worth sharing because it is powerful enough to keep us saved. It's a gospel worth sharing. Maybe this is the most important reason. It is a gospel worth sharing because there is no other way that we can be saved. Don't be ashamed. Share the gospel. Live out your life in a way that others will see your God. We saw a lot of that yesterday. But then there's today, and then there's Monday, and Tuesday. And no matter what day of the week it is or who else is around, we still need to live out our faith in a way that others will see our God. If you are here today and, and you have never accepted Christ, the gospel message is a simple one. It says that we're all sinners. Nobody's born good and turns bad. Everybody's born bad. We're born sinners. And there was nothing we could do about it on our own. But God looked down through time and he said, I've got to do something about that. And so he made arrangements. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. He was born as a baby. He grew up. He lived as a man without sin. And then he willingly laid down his life. And he became the perfect sacrifice for all of mankind. And yes, it was enough for your sin. It was more than enough. It was enough for every sin that has ever been committed. You mean even the person that was this, this, this serial killer? Yes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anyone has ever done. Jesus dying on the cross was enough. And when we come to him and we say, God, I can't do anymore. I can't fix this. But I believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that he came to this earth, and he gave his life, and I believe that his blood is enough 
to cover my sins. And the Bible says if we will repent and believe that his blood covers our sins, that he will throw our sins away as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. And that's what it takes. And if you have never done that today, this altar's open. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Maybe you've lived for Christ and lived for the Lord for years and, and you've kind of drifted away and you're not really where you, you, you think you should be or not really where you know you should be. It's never too late to come back. So as we stand this morning, if there's someone who would like to come and pray, if you would like to give your heart to the Lord today, You'll make your way to the front. Someone will meet with you here. They will pray with you. I will pray with you. As we sing a chorus, would you come? Let's sing together this morning.